0: from KQED.
1: This week, it is fair to say the suspense is killing us.
0: Due pass to the Senate floor. Due
2: pass with technical and clarifying amendments and to
0: further... Professions and vocations, sunset extension.
1: Due pass as amended...
2: Research in accordance with current law describing the vaccine research program. The day of of
1: reckoning for hundreds of bills at the state capitol and a healthy dose of backstory in Sacramento political maneuvers this week. This is the California Politics Podcast for August 28th. I'm John Myers from KQED News, along with Anthony York of the Grizzly Bear Project here in Sacramento with me and KQED's Marisa Lagos, who I'm going to say is down south in our San Francisco <laughs> newsroom
2: Southwest <laughs> that's west
1: <laughs> exactly uh, it, uh, Southwest I'm going to call you Marisa uh, bravely fought the late traffic back home Thursday night after the Capitol's long slog of floor votes and committee votes so so my question to you Marisa was your commute an advertisement for the transportation fixes in the special session bad transition was, was it an ad was it bad
2: it was actually really easy because I stopped in Vacaville and shopped <laughs> 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 Don't tell my husband. Ah, <laughs> no. Now the truth comes out. Um, if I had, yeah, it it, it was pretty clear, but that's because I didn't cross the bridge to like seven p.m. But yes, on a normal day, anytime between like four and six thirty, it's kind of a disaster. So, and you that know.
1: that was the that was the time that things kind of wrapped up here on Thursday. So, uh, we're gonna tackle everything in one segment, uh, this week on the podcast. All the big moves on pending bills at the Capitol, and some of this behind-the-scenes politics. There was a lot of rumbling about legislative leadership, and if we have time, we're going to squeeze it in before Anthony, uh, has to leave our studio, uh, a little bit of political side dish, uh, our weekly look at little morsels in politics. So, um, let's begin this way. We had two things happening in public view by the end of the week. The appropriations committees, uh, decided which bills spend money, which is frankly most bills, um, and which ones therefore would get a full floor vote. And then speaking of floor votes, we had some interesting bills get their, their moment in the sun. Uh, I, I wanted to start this way though, um, I'm going to throw it over here to Mr. York uh, for a second. If you're a podcast listener who doesn't spend all of your time watching the choreography of the California legislature, I mean, really fair to say that the suspense file is the ultimate behind-the-scenes wrangling. It's like killing things that you necessarily don't like without having any fingerprints on the weapon. I mean, because it just gets held in committee.
0: Exactly. It is the sort of the stealth killer. It's a way to— just make things disappear. You see it happen all the time. This year was no exception. Although, uh, you know, we had some big bills notably being held this year. And, you know, we saw some press releases being put out. We can discuss some of those. But um, some some bills on immigration and the minimum wage just yesterday, just, uh, just yesterday were, were held. And, and it really does sort of help uh, whittle down the scope of the, the final weeks of the
1: legislative year.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, your point is that I mean, ostensibly, this is a money question, right? A fiscal question. Do we have... Ostensibly. Know, <laughs> ostensibly, but it's not. That's, right. that's exactly the, you know... I mean, maybe on a few bills it is, but really what happens is the leadership, the governor's office, various interest groups, you know, lobby behind the scenes. And instead of having to kill these out in the open in a policy committee where, you know, members have to make an argument against it or, heaven forbid, on the floor where everybody has to take a position on controversial issues, they can just quietly shuffle them away. And, you know, they don't have to say why. And in the Senate, they don't even really say that they're killing them; (laughs) They just say what they're passing. Right. So it's a it's kind of a a mad rush for everybody on suspense day and yesterday was no exception especially considering the timing it's going to be right after session it's going to be at 4 up oh, it's starting <laughs> run down yeah, here
1: exactly Everybody's favorite. Wait, wait, wait. So, I mean, you know, let's talk about what we think is the the top takeaway there. I mean, I'm going to pick minimum wage because I think it's it it offers such an interesting window into into Democratic politics and also kind of what we've been talking about all year. And we'll talk about next year. The bill SB3 by State Senator Mark Leno, Democrat from San Francisco, that bill that would have. Um, boosted the the minimum wage in California initially, and then would have had this automatic increase linked to inflation uh, held in committee. I don't think there's any mincing words here. Some of the fingerprints that had been wiped off were from the coroner's office, were from the office from the governor's office. Governor, I don't think wanted this bill on his desk.
0: No, no he he signed he signed a minimum wage increase last year, um, and it's one that has not yet fully phased in. I think we've discussed that on this podcast. I think do I win a bet? Didn't I? Didn't I say something about that? I, th- I, th- I think I win a donut so. or something. I don't, right? I don't remember uh, that. I'm sure, sure. When it's time to pay up, how convenient! Uh, but and also, you know that a lot of localities have taken up this issue. We see minimum wage increases that in you know that have been passed in in a lot of cities in the Bay Area, including San Francisco, Oakland, Emeryville, uh, Los Angeles, Los Angeles County, and I think there is a real discussion about whether a $15 or a $13 minimum wage. Is right is the right remedy statewide, or whether this is a regional issue, and it ties in so closely to some of these other big issues that uh, we may not see action on this year, issues like housing, yeah. uh, for example. Um, and um, you know, but I but I think this is going to be a big part of the discussion for the next legislative year. Um, you know, and and who knows, maybe on the ballot in twenty sixteen.
2: Well, I also think it shows how that no one issue sort of sits on its own in politics. I mean, you know, I I think the governor clearly listened to, to business community and other opponents of this and heard their concerns. But I think he also is weighing that against what his big priorities are. And and, you know, you don't you pick and choose your battles in politics. And so I think for he and probably the speaker and maybe even the pro tem this was not the fight they wanted to pick this year with the entire business community when they have some huge climate change fights happening with the oil industry. And, and you know, they probably want to have some other business groups on their side. So I think it just shows nothing happens in a vacuum. And, you know, you it, the, the minimum wage increase that's going into effect next year is it's a dollar an hour. It's not, you know, for workers, it's not huge for businesses. It will cost something. But, you know, I think this shows, too, Leno has pushed these and this issue, and he's been very ambitious. Um, and it, clearly, he did not have the support of the entire caucus or leadership behind him.
1: Well, I think one of the things that I found interesting, too, is, is uh, in talking to some folks uh, in the world of the, uh, of the Brown administration, I think one of the things that was not seen very well is that there was actually a cost to the state in the bill as well when some of the people who work on an hourly wage and some of these social services programs and things like that there would have been a cost to government expenses as well the the bill ended up having a high price tag there what was interesting to me though too was the explanation the appropriations chair Jimmy Gomez the assemblyman from Los Angeles and then the speaker of the assembly Tony Atkins put out her own statement that it needs more study and and it's it's an interesting like I guess you're looking for a reason as to why you you held it you killed it in committee but I also think that could play into the business community and other people's um, desire to say, uh, we don't know, and look at our study. And it, I mean, it, it's – I don't know. I think to your point, Anthony, I mean, does this have a 2016 sticker on it? Does this have a oh. ballot oh, yeah. measure sticker? Are there people on the progressive side who are really willing to put up the money to have a ballot measure fight?
0: yeah I think those are, are big questions but but make no mistake. I mean, if there is, for whatever the reason, political will to get it done, the science will emerge. I mean that's <laughs> yeah. I think we we see that you know there, there, uh, there's plenty of time. more study could mean two weeks. It could mean two months. it could mean two years. Um, so um, but i I think it's more to the point Marisa was talking about, sort of the macro. Uh, political landscape and uh, some of the other fights that are going on uh, in this, over these next couple of weeks, particularly over climate change, I think it's a matter of sort of picking battles and the fact that that this issue was at least acknowledged and addressed um, over the last year or two. And when you look at, at the continued foot dragging that's happening in Congress, there's been no move on the federal minimum wage. And whereas in California, we've seen Action on the statewide level as well as uh, as on the local level.
2: Yeah. Two quick notes before we move on. I just thought, you know, Gomez, the appropriations chair, also mentioned in his statement, floated this idea of a regional approach that maybe not everybody needs a $15 minimum wage, depending on where you live. That's kind of interesting um, to me. And then, yeah, I think also the question of a ballot measure it's really going to come down to what else is on the ballot and where money is being spread around. I mean, I do think you could get strong labor support. I mean, SCIU and others have been out here nationally on this issue around fast food workers and other, you know, more low wage workers getting to this threshold. But there's a lot of potential fights coming down um, the pipeline for next year. And I think that they're going to be looking at all those carefully. And, you know, you, you, you only have so much money to spend on one election.
1: Marisa, I was going to get you to talk about one that you and I talked about watching, uh, of particular fascination out of the suspense uh, issue—not not bills that were held, but certainly bills that became nothing vehicles, pretty much. And that was on medical marijuana. Um, there is nothing better in capital lingo than the quote-unquote intent language. This is the intent of the legislature to act on the following topic, and so right? We saw these yeah. these bills basically get gutted and said it's the intent of the legislature to deal with regulation of, of medical <laughs> marijuana. And, and now that means the next couple of weeks on that issue is going to be really interesting to watch.
2: Yeah, this is really funny. Um, it's it's rare that, you know, the, the, the legislative language in a bill makes you laugh. But they literally, I think on three different bills, what they did was essentially put in this intent language and then tie them all together. So none of them could pass without the other ones, but none of them have any details. Um, And I think what's really at play here is that after a long time of really staying out of this, it sounds like the governor's office is engaging and has put forward some proposals on language around this issue. You know, I think everybody sees legalization coming down potentially next November on the ballot. And so there's, you know, a concern and, and there are a myriad of other concerns around like The fact that it's been unregulated since 215 passed over what 15 years ago. Um, but it sounds like whatever comes out of this isn't going to be that different from a lot of the language in these bills, but um, it would include you know testing licenses, it would still, uh, this is what the governor has proposed. Um still allow cities to ban uh, pot shops. It would cap farms. Um, so it's interesting. I mean, I think it seems like everyone's at the table, so we're likely to see this actually get a vote. Last year, and I think the last few sessions, these types of regulations were just held in a probe. So um, it's going to be fun to watch and, and interesting to see if the governor actually comes out and talks about this at all or not, or if this is all just behind-the-scenes maneuvering.
1: I wonder, too, if this is not going to get... You know, it's 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 so it's it's easy to link the the discussion over regulating medical marijuana to the pending discussion over legalization of recreational marijuana. Mm -hmm. And that the, they they do have big differences, but in the master narrative, I wonder if there's going to end up being some linkage with the politics of pot overall in 2016. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it's, part of it's the a, urgency. It's a big issue.
2: It's well, and part of the urgency is I think that localities in the state want to get their arms. They've they've held off for so long. I think with the you know potential for full legalization coming, they really want to get their arms around this and at least give themselves a little bit of time to have sort of. Had some of these regulatory uh, structures in place prior to legalization. I mean, nobody knows what the language would be, but um, you know, if if they were to get a bill together and signed this year, it would probably go into effect in January, and they would at least have you know ten, eleven months to to see how things go.
0: And and that's definitely impacting the debate. I mean, you look at what's happened in Colorado and Washington with legalization. Washington had a medical system that was. Bigger mess than than the one in California in terms of of lack of regulation, um, and in in Washington they've actually had to fold in. They've basically had to eliminate the medical market entirely. So having some regulations and structures in place, I think is an is seen as a lot of uh, as a, as an important precursor to the proponents of legalization. They, you know, how and how it raises a lot of questions. How do you deal with? You know these sort of two parallel systems that are that could be taxed at different levels, could have different rules, different regulations. It's complicated, and I think uh, it, you know. Whereas in Colorado, they they passed res- uh, a medical system shortly before overall legalization that had some real controls in place, and that's generally seen as having been beneficial to uh, to you know in terms of establishing a path to legalization in Colorado.
1: And I would just point out, too, that, I mean, there are some rumblings here as this week comes to an end, and a couple of people I talked to here in the Capitol, that that some of the momentum toward um, consensus about those who want a, a, a marijuana initiative on the 2016 ballot has started to come apart, and that there are some, some, some divergences now of views in how do you find the vehicle for the 2016 ballot. So this is going to be, again... Interesting. We say that too often on the podcast, but it does make for some very interesting politics here over the next few weeks about what the public hears about all of these subjects. Yeah, I mean,
2: I don't know that that's new. There's always been a lot of different competing (laughs) interests in this in this area, and a lot of fear amongst advocates of all stripes that exactly that that you know if you are an average citizen and just support legalization, your interest is way different than if you're a pot grower or if you're somebody running um, a medical marijuana shop or, you know, all, all the way up and down that supply chain, there's a lot of different people with a lot of different roles who would benefit or maybe not from legalization. So, and then of course there's law enforcement. Um, so it's, it's fascinating. And, you know, our Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom has really taken a lead on this and said he's going to kind of spearhead this effort. So I think, um, you know, Give me some some credit. There's there's a a, an experienced politician in the room and maybe that'll help them. But I do think that there's a lot of fears that there won't be enough consensus and that the sort of people who are fighting that or who are pushing this, that they're in fighting could actually be the, the the problem because polls show that, you know, it's got a pretty good chance among the general public if they do it Right.
1: I want to throw one other um, bill that uh, got killed, held in committee, uh, and then maybe we can talk a little bit about some of the bills that passed, and then also some of the swirling, this leadership stuff I really want to make sure we talk about. But uh, one bill that that seemed to sneak up on some people was a bill um, that was a very narrow bill, it seemed like, in some ways, about offshore oil drilling. Senate Bill 788, which was carried by State Senator Mike McGuire, a a freshman Democrat, uh, and co-sponsored by others, had the backing of environmentalists, held in committee, but had been the subject of a lot of intense back and forth behind the scenes over the last few weeks, um, including concerns from the Brown administration about exactly how it would be crafted and should it be crafted differently. And in a sense, this was a victory. I mean, it, oh, I don't want to be too dramatic in calling it a victory, but it it was something that uh, the oil industry was opposed to, and this is a bit of a victory for them, especially. Fascinating giving the other side of what the governor and others are talking about and Democratic leadership in terms of clamping down on big oil with the bill we've talked about over and over, and we'll probably talk about here and again in a moment, SB 350. So it was a very interesting moment where offshore drilling is kind of like one of those red letter horrible things when you talk about it in the public, but it survived, or at least the ability to do a small amount of drilling. Uh, slant drilling from onshore, offshore waters, onshore operations. Anyway, uh, held in committee.
0: It, I mean, it, that speaks to the power of the oil industry within the Democratic Caucus, and and frankly, speaks to the line that the governor has walked consistently when it comes to oil, uh, whether mm-hmm. it's fracking regulations or offshore drilling or or other issues. And you know, something that uh, you guys discussed uh, last week while I was gone, I did actually listen, and uh, <laughs> and uh, and and that I you know. But and, you know, that I had written about uh, last week as well. I mean, about and it is interesting, this sort of uh, this 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 middle path that the governor is trying to forge uh, in dealing with the oil industry. And especially, uh, I mean, you know, earlier in the week he was in Nevada saying they have they're in big trouble. They they produce they have a a hazardous product that kills people or whatever he was saying. Morally questionable. Yeah. And now, but now, but he's going to preserve their right to uh, to pr-
1: to produce oil in California. Yeah, well, and and I was with him there at Tahoe when he said it, and and basically it was a, I'm not giving up the fight. You know, we're we're only going to basically intensify this fight. And he was talking about SB 350, uh, which I want to pivot to just for a very brief moment because uh, that coalition. Um, that Democrats are trying to now organize uh, for support for this climate change bill that, among other things, would limit petroleum use in cars over the next 15 years in California. That coalition got a lot of boosting this week, including uh, one pretty prominent boost. Leaders in California are aiming to generate 50 percent of their electricity from renewables by 2030. 50 percent, while
0: cutting carbon pollution from oil by 50 percent.
1: That, of course, the president of the United States, uh, who was in uh, Las Vegas uh, midweek or early week, I should say, and gave a shout out to the California effort under SB 350, a lot of Democrats now coalescing, former leaders of the legislature, press releases, and on and on and on. It continues to be such a very big topic of discussion, and it's actually one of two topics of discussion, so I'm going to lump this in just in the interest of time. that it's a topic of discussion that is yet to be resolved and also yet to be resolved are some of these special session issues. And there was at least some buzz that special session issues uh, were at the root of this leadership drama.
2: Lots of buzz, but not a lot of confirmation.
1: (laughs) Buzz, but not confirmation. The uh, leader of the state Senate Republicans, Bob Huff, Uh, who was going to be stepping down uh, later, a few weeks from now or a couple of months from now, uh, stepped down immediately. And the new leader, a Republican, Jean Fuller, state senator of Bakersfield, is the new Senate Republican leader. She was asked uh, quickly about how she felt about uh, some of these issues in terms of revenues, which is the transportation and health care special sessions, uh, asked by reporters after she became leader on Thursday.
0: Well, Republicans do not raise taxes. Ever. (laughs) Well, certainly it is something that the hardworking families in my county and um, in others in California, uh, it's really not fair to ask them to pay more, especially when we had like a $7 billion budget uh, surplus come and there was a lot of money that we could allocate to extra projects, and we should do that efficiently.
1: That's a pretty strong statement out of the gate, isn't it? Uh, Republicans don't raise taxes. She wants to make it clear. And you got to wonder if there was something playing there about um, taxes. There was discussion that Senator Huff might have been looking at some of the proposals. He is running for the L.A. County Board of Supervisors. I bet transportation money would play different in a local campaign yeah. than it would on the statewide level. There's There's no real clear answer that we were given about that leadership shuffle. But I think what I'm wrapping this into a larger narrative here is there's a lot of tension about these moving parts here in in the final weeks, whether it is individual bills or these special sessions or leadership issues. Assembly Speaker Tony Atkins distributed a letter to uh, her fellow Democrats this week, right, saying, don't replace don't... me yet. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't replace me until later. I mean, there's a lot of tension that is linked to particular issues and also what people want to do in their political careers, maybe after their yeah, current jobs.
2: Yeah, I'm a little you know, baffled by this GOP shakeup just because what we were hearing on Thursday was that it was about taxes and that there might be con- some concern among the Senate Republican caucus that uh, Bob Huff was willing to make a deal. But he's one person. And if the caucus is that united, you know, he couldn't have it, he, he couldn't have made that two thirds majority happen without other members. So um, it's, it's really interesting. And, you know, it, it as you said, it wasn't so shocking because we knew this was coming. She had already been elected. But um, yeah, and then that Atkins letter was certainly interesting. I mean, to put it in writing, you know, she must have felt strongly. Um, And, you know, there's been rumors for weeks that there's a couple different folks who are making a play for the speakership. Um, But yeah, it's uh, people are nervous, it seems.
1: Well, isn't this too? I mean, Anthony, you know, we've talked about this so many times too. This is the end of session squeeze play. Right. Where where things that are not germane to each other get linked because people want something you want this. I want this. Yeah. And on the Republican
0: side, we've seen these sorts of leadership changes midstream uh, before in in recent memory. And so and yeah, I mean, it does. You know, it it speaks to a lot of things. I mean, I think sort of. you know still, I know the term limits rules have changed, but there's still sort of a lack of um, long-standing working relationships. and there's there's all always the exuberance of the leaders in waiting and um and the heightened tensions generally that come with the uh, the end of the legislative year.
2: What is interesting about Atkins' request is she specifically says till they, you know, reconvene in January, which I thought was interesting. I mean, she took over in December. A lot of times you see, you know the incoming, uh speaker, you know, get elected maybe beforehand or at least take take over, in, you know, when people are kind of c- before people come in so that they can do the committees and all that. So, you know, it's interesting. She's like, just hold off until the new year.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's also true that, you know, typically w- when you have the votes, you call the vote, right? I mean, right. So, <laughs> I-, I mean, letters notwithstanding.
2: No, but she's clearly trying to stop people from getting the votes, I think, right? Like, this is a step before that.
1: I think that a lot of this, you know, just what's fascinating is that it it does get you to the pivot to 2016. I mean, there is a 2016 calculation that is ever so creeping into everything. Not that it hasn't been there before, but the more we go and the last hours here and all of these things, they, they do creep you toward individuals or parties or caucuses and and the 2015 universe so let me pivot bad transition let me pivot before we walk away and uh uh, let you marinate on all of this stuff to our our little side dish our little morsels on the universe of politics uh i'm gonna let uh marisa the uh, commuter from sacramento to san francisco on thursday and and the shopper in vacaville apparently go first uh you can find marisa at mlagos on twitter
2: I'm just trying to help the economy, people. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, well, and and Anthony should go next because ours are sort of related, but I was I was fascinated this week by a little item in the Los Angeles Daily News about how um, Los Angeles County supervisors, in spite of the governor's order to cut water by 25%, and the rest of us driving around dirty, dirty cars as a badge of honor and having, you know, dry lawns and all this we're actually washing their take-home cars two or three times a week um and apparently mostly at places you know city facilities that don't use recycled water um within a day or in the same day one of the supervisors who was called out um called for a once monthly limit to affect all county departments um which still seems high to me again as a normal person who's trying not to wash their car like ever. But um just kind of fun and you know, good reporting. I I was I, I thought it was fun.
1: Well, it's always one of those do as I say, not as I do kind of stories and they're they you know, we're 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 reporters, we can't help that. Anthony York who's on uh, Twitter at Anthony York 49, what's your side dish? Well, it's sort of a do-as-I-do do
0: follow to that. <laughs> uh, it was the, uh, the the numbers that came out. We talked so much about water earlier, and, and we're not talking about it much now. But the fact that, that last month, Californians cut their water use by a whopping 31 um, uh, percent, exceeding the governor's goals uh, of 25 percent that uh, – you know, there was there was a lot of sound and fury when the governor announced his goals that it was unreachable, untenable, undoable, and unsavory, uh, and lo and behold, look, we actually did it. So, um, you know, congratulations, California. Um, notwithstanding the five members of the L.A. County Board of Supervisors, uh, we managed
1: to reach our goals. And uh, my side dish, you can find me on Twitter at John Myers, staying in Los Angeles, because why not? We love Southern California. Uh, this fascinating back and forth that we've mentioned a little before, but I keep watching this, folks, about the potential bid for an Olympics uh, in Los Angeles. And there was this uh, story I saw, give credit to our friends at KPCC, Southern California Public Radio, that talked about the documents that the city of Los Angeles is putting, putting together and a phrase in it that said that Governor Brown supports some way of state financing or state dollars for an olympic bid or as a backstop of some sort quickly people from the governor's office said no that's not right and then they said something like it's too early to say whatever but the the money the cost of an olympic games is such an interesting thing to watch and the political fortunes of eric garcetti how he does it the city controller of la on friday you know, putting out his own political moment of uh, more transparency in the Olympics bid. Keep watching it. I I mean, this is a great show to watch about uh, what these kind of things cost, what the impact is in a place like Los Angeles. Uh, Never a dull moment for our friends down south. So that's uh, a fun one to watch. And there'll never be a dull moment in Sacramento. And with that, let's wrap it up. Um, For Anthony York from the Grizzly Bay Project and Marisa Lagos from KQED News, I'm John Myers from KQED. As always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.